Welcome to Equipping the Bride podcast. I'm your host, Jason DeMars, and thank you for listening in. It's my calling and my desire to teach the message, rightly dividing the word of truth in order to equip the bride to live the very life of Christ by the Holy Ghost. You can direct any questions, prayer requests, or testimonies to me at jasondemars.com. Get free resources and materials shipped to your home as well. I pray you will be equipped by the word today. Good morning, everyone. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you so much for listening in. I'm Jason DeMars, and just want to remind everyone, if you have any prayer requests, questions, or testimonies, feel free to contact me. You can do so in the comments section on Facebook or YouTube, or you also can go to my website, jasondemars.com, and you can go ahead and uh, send me uh, a message there. Contact me and I will get back in contact with you as soon as I possibly can. Also, a reminder, please uh, subscribe and click the little bell to get notified when I go live on YouTube. Sure appreciate that. And also, just a reminder, we have free books and materials on our website, so you can go ahead and go there and get... uh, any of the books that I've written, tracks, also the Church Ages book there for completely free. We send those out out all around the world as the Lord provides. Um, Haven't been able to send things overseas quite so much recently, but just trusting the Lord will provide and make a way for us to be able to send those uh, requests to Africa, India, etc. So um, let's continue. Let's look at our subject today. Um, We're going to be looking at church history and we're going to be talking about uh, ancient Turkey or what what we call Turkey. Um, Before we get started, I want to just send greetings. Uh, Sister Sarah from Edmonton, God bless you. Sister Chantel from Maine, God bless you. Sister Sally from Indiana, God bless you. Uh, rolled on from I don't know what country that is I see a flag there I'm sorry I I don't recognize it I I apologize Um, brother Daniel from Brazil God bless you and uh, he sends in uh, a request so we'll have to cover that in future episodes so all right let's get into our subject I guess Uh, Sometimes these things are a little tricky, Um, but I want to start with a quote from Brother Branham from the third seal. He said, Spiritual Eve, now that's the church, Christ's bride. She fell not in Eden, but in Rome, see, at the Nicaea Council. When she rejected that Pentecostal church that went down to Nicaea and listening to Rome's reasoning. Instead of holding on to the word, she fell and everything away from her died with her, around her. Now, just as natural Eve fell, spiritual Eve fell. God's bride fell, fell in the garden. 
Christ's bride fell in Rome. See. All right. Now, Brother Branham refers to Nicaea as Rome. All right. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, let's look at this photo. So you can see here a picture of um, modern day Turkey. So you see down to the bottom, that's Syria. And if you could go further down, you'd see uh, Israel. Um, but it has on there Iznik slash Nicaea with an arrow pointing at it. There's a little lake there. Um, I've been to this area a number of times uh, on my missions trips into Turkey. I have not been to the ancient ruins of Nicaea, but you'll understand that Nicaea is not in Italy, uh, Rome, Italy. Nicaea is a city uh, in uh, Turkey. What would have at one point in time been considered uh, Galatia. Um, I see a few more people have sent greetings. Brother Fury, God bless you. Sister Jessica from New Zealand, God bless you. So as you see, Nicaea is in modern-day Turkey. And you'll also remember that the seven churches of Asia Minor there so in turkey you'll see that little lake just above bursa and just to the east of that is where nicaea is so then you go down from there and you see the red uh, dots red squares you see ephesus smyrna Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So those are, that that is southwest Turkey. I have personally been to the ruins of Ephesus and the ruins of Laodicea. I've been to the city right next to uh, Smyrna, uh, which is called now Izmir. Um, and I've also been to a city uh, called Iznik, which is near uh, Nicaea, but I have not been into Nicaea. Anyways, uh, as I mentioned before in 1 Peter, 1 Peter writes, uh, in Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Ponta, Pontus, you see Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So you see those are the areas mentioned there in Peter's epistle. All right, so we have those areas being mentioned also. Um, so, uh, to set, set set the stage of what we're trying to speak about here, um, during the first six centuries, the center of the Christian faith was in the East. 
it was not in the West. So we think of Christianity being centered in maybe in Rome, um, but really the truth of the matter is it was not uh, calling calling Nicaea uh, as Brother Branham does Rome is uh, a typical device that uh, the prophets will use as well to say say something that is spiritually uh, signified in that. Let's look at this more closely. So, um, in 324, there is a city called Byzantium. Byzantium was, uh, let me pull up a map here. So, Byzantium is this place here. If you see there, you see the Black Sea, you see Macedonia, Bulgaria, you see Asia, Asia Minor, you see Nicaea, and then you see here uh, just above that on that little landmass connecting Europe and Asia, um, there you see Constantinople, and then in parentheses it says Byzantium. So in 324, this city is called Byzantium. If you see Italy across there, you see Rome in around the year 320, in the 320s, the Roman Emperor, and, and previous to this, uh, many of the uh, Roman elite during the summertime left uh, Rome and went into what we call Asia Minor. And they went and lived there because they felt the weather was much, more, much better and much easier to tolerate during that time of year. So that continued to happen until they made this little city called Byzantium into the new Rome. By the year uh, 324, Byzantium was called New Rome. And so you see when Brother Branham calls, it calls it Nicaea Rome, it's not a huge jump. It's just if you don't understand what he's saying, you'll miss the context. And so uh, when we look at this, by the year, six years later, it, be, it was named after Constantine, and it became, and it was the now officially eastern capital of the Roman Empire. So by 330, now we have an official adopting of this as the home of the Roman em Emperor. Now as time went on, this became the place where the Roman Empire, Roman Emperor never left. So he didn't go back from there. He stayed in this place and he kept this as his capital. All right. So let's let's go forward. Now we said that West the, the Western Empire was not uh, very important to Christianity. Of course, there was there was Rome, and there was a bishop there, 
And he, he did have authority, certainly. And at the Council of Nicaea, um, besides deciding on which doctrine to accept, they also made four different bishops. Uh, we would, they are called patriarchs. Patriarch is where we get the word pope. And so they made four of them. It was Alexandria, which is in Egypt. It was Antioch, which is in Syria. It was Constantinople, which we're speaking about. And it was Rome. So those four bishops became elevated, and now they were over the top of other bishops in smaller areas. So a new position was created at Nicaea to make patriarchs of the church. Now, as we're studying this, we understand now um, in the year 330, the power area of the church was in Turkey, what we call now Turkey, Syria, and Egypt. Greece and Rome were still very minor, and there was a smaller amount of Christians in that area. Remember, uh, Europe was never fully evangelized until the time of Charlemagne around the year 800. Much of Europe was still pagan by the time, by, by, by the time of Nicaea. Most of it was. So the area that the Bishop of Rome had authority over was a very small area. You would say it was mostly there in Italy and into a little bit into what we now call France and uh, Germany. But it was a very limited authority that he had compared to the Bishop of Constantinople, the Bishop of Antioch, and the Bishop of Alexandria. These these areas were much, had many more Christians. Now, at the time of Nicaea in 325, there was no major dominating viewpoint about the Godhead and about the Trinity. There were a lot of different viewpoints. And one of the most politically astute bishops was a bishop by the name of Athanasius. Athanasius was, the, was a bishop of Alexandria, and he was basically putting himself in the position of pope and being an advisor to Constantine. Constantine basically looked at it as, we have to unite Christians together under my authority. And so Athanasius stepped up, and he began to demonize everyone's viewpoint as compared to his own. So Athanasius took and called everyone that, that didn't agree with him Arians. And there was a man named Arius that taught a doctrine that was actually common and agreed upon uh, by the probably close to the majority of Christians. And by, and by the time of Ni the Council of Nicaea in 325, Athanasius got the ear 
of the emperor and forced through his view that the Son of God was a second, co-equal, and co-eternal person with the Father. And this was uh, the viewpoint and the understanding that was produced by the dual school of theology and philosophy in Alexandria. Uh, this was one of the leaders of this school in around the year 200 was Origen. He was both a theologian and a philosopher, and he came up with the idea of eternal sonship, that the son was eternally begotten. And at the Council of Nicaea, this became enshrined. However, it was a great deception. It was a great deception. And by the year 330, the emperor, uh, in 324, the emperor sent Arius into exile and put all Arian bishops away. Well, five years later, someone convinced him that was a mistake. And by 330, you had the Arian bishops back in power. And so this was a struggle between political factions in the church. It wasn't a struggle over, church, uh, over truth. It was a struggle over political factions. And these two political factions battled it out. And where that battle took place was one emperor would be an Arian and one emperor would be an Athanasian. And that would take place over the next several hundred years until finally the Arian teachers lost out and all uh, teachers of the Orthodox and Catholic churches became Athanasian, which were Trinitarians. So it wasn't so cut and dry that at Nicaea they accepted Trinitarianism. Yes, that's true, but a political struggle slowly took place, which eventually put out all opposing factors. And now, after 100, 150 years after Nicaea, all, Trinitar all Arians' opposing views were put away. And so now... Back to our, our story. In, in the year four, slowly the barbarians of, of, from Germanic tribes attacked Rome. And slowly and slowly, by, little by little, Rome in Italy was cut off from the rest of its empire. And by the year 476, the, the, the barbarian king Odoacer deposed the last Roman emperor in Italy, Romulus Augustus. He was deposed, 476. So by that time, there was no centralized power in Rome ruling until a later time. And even later, even at that later time, what he wasn't based out of Italy. He, he was based out of Germany and France. Charlemagne, in the year 800, was crowned as the Holy Roman Emperor. And he ruled over an area. Let's show that on the map. This is the area that Charlemagne ruled. You see that he ruled a little, most into the boot of Italy, all of France, a little bit of Spain, 
and all of Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, etc. So this was the area that Charlemagne ruled, and Charlemagne uh, quote-unquote evangelized all of this area. He Basically, he by the edge of the sword, he destroyed paganism in this area and enforced Catholic rule. The Pope, by the year 800, the Pope ruled this empire through the emperor uh, Charlemagne and his successors. And the Pope's authority and rule expanded, expanded into Spain, expanded into England, expanded into Austria, Hungary, etc. This rule expanded, but then a thousand years later, by the year 1800, Napoleon came and distracted uh, sacked it, and the Holy Roman Empire ceased to exist by 1806. But let's go back to the East, because the East became the Byzantine or the New Roman Empire. And so again, I'm going to pull that up and show this area. So at the start of the Byzantine or Empire, you have what's the surrounding areas in the red line ruled over those areas as time went on and, and especially as Islam started in the years around the year 600 and began to conquer took over these North African areas Egypt Syria and then it slowly pushed itself in but you see the the light lighter red or pinkish color that's the area that the Byzantine Empire controlled up until about 1360 then at 1360, you see the Byzantine Empire got very small and ruled over just a small area in Europe. And as the, um, uh, as the Ottoman Turks, the Muslim Empire, pushed through all the way into, uh, into Europe, they ruled over that area. Um, by the year, uh, I believe it was 1450, uh, 1453, that Constantinople was uh, taken over and it became later became known as Istanbul. But let's look at this more, more, more clearly. Again, I'm, I want to emphasize that this area that we're looking at, we're looking at. Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt, North Africa. This area was really the home of Christianity, and more specifically, Asia Minor, Constantinople. This was what we would say is the Bible Belt, though not being so much the Bible Belt in that, in that respect and in that aspect. So... Understand now how far along are we? We're about uh, 27 minutes in. So I'm just going to go a few more minutes. We'll continue our subject later. So understanding that uh, when we're looking at Rome at the year 325, don't think of centralized city and don't think of Catholicism. Really, the, the Pope rewrote history. So the Pope of Rome re rewrote history. He wasn't the most powerful bishop until we're looking at the years 
800 and beyond. Even then, it was still minimal compared to the Byzantine Empire. It wasn't until, you know, the, the year 1100s that you see the Pope's power growing uh, to increase beyond that of the, the Eastern uh, bishops and empire. So during the time of Nicaea, you have the Bishop of Alexandria, the bishop who, who was wielding the most power, uh, then the Bishop of Constantinople and the Bishop of Antioch. Now, all of these men actually had a different viewpoint about the Godhead than Athanasius in, in Alexandria. Athanasius in Alexandria definitely held the viewpoint that this, the, the Son was the second person of a trinity. And again, we've talked about this before, but in 381, they had a council in Constantinople, and again, the faction that held to the Holy Spirit as a third person, co-equal and co-eternal, their understanding ruled the day. Also at this council, they made Mary the mother of God. And so all of these things go along with some strange and odd doctrines, ones that we completely reject. But let's go back. What was the major viewpoint of most believers, they, they either were between a oneness viewpoint, um, one that we as message believers might call Jesus only, but I, even then I would say it's probably a modified Jesus only understanding, and then one that held to a similar viewpoint that we have, which is they believe that in eternity, uh, the Logos of John 1 and 1 was in God, and then just before creation, this Logos went out of God and became the theophany body that God related himself to the world through and that he created through this Logos all things. And so this was the majority viewpoint, especially of the bishops of Antioch, Constantinople. But their viewpoint was hindered by Alexandria, and they battled and fought against this. And Nicaea was really the start of this battle where the devil was going to take and use the Trinitarian doctrine to stifle any other doctrine. And uh, these leaders of the church were certainly not opposed to uh, handling issues and situations like the mafia would. They had their hitman. They had their people that excommunicated people. They had their people that uh, uh, roughed people up, and they used this political these political ploys to control the Council of Nicaea, and that's really what you see what what happening. What was happening even after the Council of Nicaea. You see, five years later, the emperor, uh, Constantine, goes directly against this, and his son as well goes directly against this. And you see a battle taking place between Athanasians and Arians, and this, this fight and warfare uh, over, over doctrine takes place where you see one bishop getting sent to excommunicated, now the Arians are in charge. Then a new emperor comes, 
a grandson or a great-grandson of Constantine, and they put in an Athanasian emperor. Now you have a tr the Trinity taking over. And so these, the council is largely what you see as a battle. And of course, the Athanasians wanted to use this, the council, to enforce their view, viewpoint and make it the majority viewpoint. And so as time went on, the Arians got lesser and lesser, and the Trinitarians took over. You know, the Arian viewpoint uh, is communicated us, to us through history by the Trinitarians. And it's very clear that the Athanasians, the Trinitarians, set up straw man arguments in order to destroy the true understanding that the Arian doctrine brought. I believe that what God restored to us through the ministry of Brother Branham is that true understanding that, that the believers had, though they were mishandling and misconstruing it, using politics to battle against politics. That was the devil's business, to destroy the truth. And he used it, he used that political tactic, cooperation with the emperor and recognition from the emperor in order to destroy the truth and to destroy the church. That's why we had to have an, a reformation to bring us to the place where we're restored back to the original faith through the message of Malachi 4. So, God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this history lesson. I hope it was a blessing. I hope it was interesting to you. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or testimonies, please let me know. Sure appreciate you. And once again, you can go to the website, jasondemars.com, and you can get order free materials. Shipping is free as well. Appreciate you listening in. May God richly bless you. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Bride podcast. New episodes are posted every Tuesday and Friday. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or testimonies, please contact me at jasondemars.com. Free books and tracts are available there, and shipping is free as well. May the Lord richly bless you.